but people don't like it anyway. People are just natively afraid of anything that has to do with radioactivity. Just as long as it's not gamma radiation, because then the meat could all get green and big if it gets mad and and start punching things. I, 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 this is from purely scientific sources for sure. That Marvel, purely science fiction sources and Marvel, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm marveling at this, this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Once more into the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and... Jeff. McClure. We are the bald duo. We are here to fearlessly interpret economic news, boldly state uh, our opinions as if they matter. I don't know that it's fearless. You're afraid? Yes, I am. Can you? I might say something wrong. Might, I might. You just literally said something wrong. I did. See, right there. Yeah. I, you, you brought your fear to life. That was a self-fulfilling prophecy there. You were afraid that you would say something wrong, and then you said something wrong. I did. I uh, did. We are the personal wealth coach, and if you haven't figured it out, we're a little strange. Uh, we're going to be talking about the world of finance, investing, economics, what's going on in the world, what's going on in your wallet. Wait, how do we know what's happening in your wallet? Uh, but before we get started, we've got some disclosures. Uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program. It's also the name. It's not? Of, it's not only. I did say it's not just the name of this radio program. It is the name of the radio okay. program. Right. Got it. Okay. People who speak English as a second language have to be confused by us constantly. You just said it was the name of the radio program, and then you said it's not just the name of the radio program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. That's an interesting coincidence. It is. It's, it, it is they do coincide, but they were intentionally coinciding. So the personal wealth coach as an SEC registered investment advisor gives fiduciary investment advice to people of high net worth. This is not investment advice, what we're giving on the air, because we don't know you all. I don't think. Maybe if we just have a few, we might just have like three listeners that we know every one of them this, this week. You really think we have that many? Uh, it, I'm not listening and you're not listening. So that maybe it's just one listener at this point. Well, I guess if you're listening and I'm listening and we had one listener out there, that would make us three listeners. What What did you say? I'm sorry. I, I wasn't I, listening. I know. I got you. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, we're killing our own ratings by not listening to ourselves. Yep. I don't even hear the words that are coming out of my own mouth. Um, True. So what I'm trying to say there is that fiduciary investment advice requires us to actually know you and to tailor the advice to your best interest. And the fact that uh, we're on the radio means that it's unlikely that we can do that. So what we're offering on the radio is not investment advice, it's education. We are hopefully going to enlighten you and inform your decision-making process. Uh, we do take 
questions on that, by the way, I'm going to throw this in the middle of the disclosures. You can email us your questions. We've already got several waiting to Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com, as in thepersonalwealthcoach.com or Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie. You can send it to both of them, too. You can send it to Jeff at tpwc.com and Jake at tpwc.com. That way we both get it. That's actually preferable. Now, I said that the firm is registered with the SEC. That in no way says that the SEC has given some kind of a thumbs up approval or hidden wink, wink, nudge, nudge to us in any way. That just means they're the folks that will come and smack us around if we do something wrong and you report us and they say, well, it's more like they ask us to write a big check or to stop doing business, period. Or possibly if in in cases of egregious wrongdoing, the SEC will provide the whole gated community experience with a uh, free room and board and uh, nice orange clothing. It's, it's not something I would recommend, but uh, it is on the itinerary of notable people like Bernie Madoff and folks like him. Well, not anymore. He's dead. Well, but it was on his itinerary. Yes, it was. Yeah. So that's nice, nice little things. And we're glad that the SEC is out there, but they don't, they don't give a thumbs up to anything. So that's part of our disclosure. Whenever someone says they're registered with a government agency, sometimes they see they seem to think that that gives them some kind of authority. But it's kind of like saying, I register my taxes with the IRS. Well, that doesn't mean that the IRS agrees that you did your taxes right. It just means that they accepted a check from you. So that's with the SEC, it's a little bit more involved than that. It's the same concept. Uh, would you like to give us your, your favorite disclosure? The information we present on this radio program, and it's an educational program, so it's educational information, has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information, which is my favorite disclosure. Yes, and I'm gonna, actually going to... Gonna, add to it a little bit. Sometimes we gather information from sources we deem to be totally and completely unreliable. We do? Yeah, but we generally bring that information to you to point out how it is totally and completely unreliable. For instance, I quite often will quote from Chinese um, publications. Those are not, in my opinion, considered reliable. I didn't even know you spoke Chinese. I don't, but Google does, and he helps a lot. He's a great guy, except when he's not. Uh, I guess it's like your cousins or whatever. They're great until they're not. Uh, We've got one more disclosure, and that is that we do not pay for this radio program, nor are we paid to do the radio program. We do buy advertising on the station, But the advertising is for the radio program, and the station also provides advertising for the radio program. So there is no quid pro quo senator, if there's a senator listening. And if you'd know what that's from, it's dating you already. means you're really old. Or at least semi-old. All right, so you want to start out what happened in the market this week? Well, market zigzagged around a bit and then was up zero. The Standard Poor's 500 stock index, at least, was up 0.61% for the week, which doesn't sound like much. You know, it's a six-tenths of 1%. But then when you figure there's 52 weeks in the year, you multiply that times 52, and it goes, wow, that's a lot of return. 
It's actually up about the average it's been so far because it's up 12.61% year to date. Why did it zig down on Thursday? Because there was an inflation scare. But it's it like every, out- every Thursday we have an inflation scare so far in the last, I don't know, two months. It's like every Thursday yeah. we're like, oh, inflation. Oh, no, never mind. Oh, oh inflation. On no, Friday, never mind. They decided, on Friday, the market decided there wasn't an inflation scare, and it came back, and it came back more than it went down, which means it went up for the week. 12.61% year to date. If we just keep on doing this 0.61% a week all year, it'll be pretty interesting. We'll have a massive market gain, which we've already had the last 12 months. We're not suggesting uh, that that's going to happen, but it's it, it brings into light when we talk about a weekly return. It brings into light pretty easily that these are high returns. The S&P 500 is only six-tenths of 1% below its all-time record, which it hit about a month ago. The reason the market, be, well, the, the reason at least is reported by the Wall Street Journal and other sources that the market is behaving so oddly zigzagging up and down is it's looking for something to be afraid of. The market is up. Is it up out of sight? Not by historic standards. It's up. It's near the top of its normal trading range. And basically is dependent on the fact that we'll have higher earnings in the future, which is a pretty good thing to be dependent upon since the corporate earnings reports that have come in from the first quarter almost all have led to guidance that they'll have much higher earnings in the second and third quarters and fourth quarters. And it's so, not a stretch to believe that as that more and more people are vaccinated and feel safe going out and actually are going out. Uh, one in three Texans are fully vaccinated at this point, which is pretty cool. Texas is not at the leading edge of that curve. There are states that are above 70% fully vac- vaccinated as well. And those states are seeing a pretty tremendous boom back to economic activity. So is, so is Texas. So having expectations for higher earnings throughout the year is, is a pretty reasonable expectation unless we get some kind of another shutdown. It's really easy to grow from what we were last year because last year was pretty down. And by the way, this leveling off period that we've been going through with relatively small gains on average in a week, and little scares in the middle of the week. It's really, really good. That's that's an indication that the bull market still has room to run. There's no guarantees, of course. The bottom line to it is the old saw is true. A bull market climbs a wall of worry. As long as there's worry and fear in the market, we're probably still in a bull market, so we're doing really well. Interestingly enough to us, and we think it's important because we're mid-cap value guys, uh, the CRSP Mid-Cap Value Index hit a new record this week, closing at 2508.92. Actually, it hit the record on Thursday. It closed at 2509, up over 1% this week. And it's up 22.31% year-to-date. Now, that indicates there's a rotation going on in the market. The, the Mid-Cap Values part of the S&P 500 has had almost twice the return of the main S&P 500. What we saw last year was the large-cap growth side of the S&P 500 getting all the returns. So there's a rotation going on in the market out of the high, the very, the very big growth tech companies into the value companies, particularly mid-cap value. Actually, small-cap value has done exceptionally well, but that's not in the S&P 500. Uh, it's, an, it's a normal rotation, by the way, mid-bull market. And so this bull market is behaving in a fairly normal fashion, unlike the economy. The 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield uh, confirmed, as, as we wrote in the newsletter, no inflation in sight. 
it declined to 1.55%, which sounds pretty, if you've been around very long, that's an amazingly low interest rate for a 10-year U.S. Treasury note. But it's down from 1.63% in May. Why did it go down? Basically, a lot of people are buying U.S. Treasury notes. Why are they buying U.S. Treasury notes? Because they've got about the highest yield in the world of anything that's that's virtually guaranteed. Even though it looks like inflation is running above 1.55%, and probably the bet of people who are investing in those Treasury notes is they'll do a break-even over a 10-year period. So basically, and this is rough and it's not particularly accurate, but people who are buying those Treasury notes and thereby forcing the interest rates down are thinking that the average inflation is going to be about 1.5% over the next 10 years. Otherwise, they'd be losing money and buying Treasury notes. They're doing it anyway. Uh, Short-term rates, and that's an important thing, which the Federal Reserve has some control over. If you actually look at the maturity values and the current price of bonds on the open market, treasury bonds, notes, and bills on the open market that will mature in the next six months, they're all above one. They're all around one hundred one. What that means is, if you paid a if you paid a, uh, if you paid a thousand and ten dollars for a treasury note today, it's gonna it's going to mature in six or five or six months. And you only get a thousand dollars back, and you don't get any interest on it over that period. You actually lose money. In some cases, you do get the interest, and sometimes, in some cases, you don't. But the bottom line to it is, the actual yield to maturity on Treasury securities in the secondary market for six months is negative. The thirty-year Treasury, on the other hand, is up at two point two four percent, which still sounds amazingly low to a guy who's been around as long as I have. But that's a steep yield curve going from zero to 2.254% with 1.55 in the middle of 10 years. That tells us that the treasury market, the people who buy treasury bonds, the people in organizations that buy treasury bonds, think there's a lot of growth, but very little long-term inflation ahead. And it looks and an interesting point about this treasury yield curve, and I don't expect most people to appreciate this very much, but the yield curve looks like this at the bottom of a recession normally, where the short-term rates go to zero or nearly to zero because things are so bad. Long-term rates are significantly higher because they expect things to get good. And that steep yield curve that we have starting at zero where we are right now is the kind of yield curve that you typically see dead at the bottom of a bear market or a recession. And it is really odd to see this kind of yield curve appear or shape up and form as it has this far into a recovery. It's one of the leading indicators that we would look at and say, this means that we're still close to the beginning of the recovery. The labor market is saying the recovery may be partially over, but I don't agree with that. I think, I think the labor market is going to heal itself pretty quickly. But the point is everything out there is saying all the indicators, all the economic indicators are telling us, and as far as the economic cycle is concerned, we're just getting started. We're just getting on a roll. Uh, there's some other economic information that was on set, but that's not the market. Uh, West Texas Intermediate crude oil rose 2% for the week to 69.35, again, on evidence of increasing demand, which is in the way the crude oil market says, hey, the economy is picking up steam. Yeah. Prices so rise. We're, we're running right close to $70 a barrel at this point. And if you go back just over a year, it was a negative 
dollars a barrel negative what was it 25 dollars a barrel it actually hit negative 35 at one point so worst case scenario back then you had to pay somebody to take it off your hands you had to pay somebody 30 bucks to take the barrel away or to have a barrel period and today people are paying you 70 bucks to to buy the same amount uh it's just Fascinating is one of the things when we look at the year over year returns in the market of almost anything, they look unrealistic because we were so low last year at this point. We were already beginning the recovery in the market last year at this point, but it was still pretty down. So Anytime you look at your investment returns for the year, it's going to look really nice if you were experiencing the market at all. Just know that that's, that's not a realistic return forever. That uh, this, this is a pretty good statement that we were really down then and almost everything is up today from then. So we've got some questions that are out there waiting for us. Shall we start them? Um, the first question we had was way early. More than an hour before the program began, Alan sent in a question, and the subject of the email is New Natrium Power Plant in Wyoming. Jeff, Jake, I've read a couple of articles about this new nuclear technology this week. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this new way of producing electricity. I'm going to answer this really broadly because there are dozens of exciting new nuclear technologies out there. And when I say exciting, this is not hyperbole. This is stuff that's completely new ways of approaching nuclear energy. Uh, So I'm approaching this broadly. In the United States, we're in the process of making one nuclear power plant in Wyoming. And it's exciting because we're using new technology to do it with. This technology was developed over the last about four decades in the United States at the academic level. So there's not a lot of practice. A lot of the the nuclear power stations that have been built during that time period are using an older technology because you have to have your plant approved 20 years in advance to get it built in the United States. And, And that's not hyperbole either. If you just start looking around at when... For instance, there's a nuclear power plant near Matagorda, Texas. And if you want to look at how long it took to get that thing going, the actual construction on it took less than a year if you just put all the construction together into one time frame. So lots and lots of new and innovative technology coming out in nuclear power, and we're not going to experience much of it. It'd be nice if we did, but people are afraid of nuclear. And they're not likely to ever get over that fear. I think it's, it's overblown, but it is a fear that people have. They would much rather use other means than nuclear, unless you're talking about China. China right now is in the process of creating about three times the rest of the world's combined nuclear power plants in the next few years. And by the next few years, they have a plan that's listed out that, that's looking out over uh, the next five-year plan. Uh, this, this is China's 14th five-year plan that they put out. And this one covers 2021 to 2025. It was reduced, released in March. 
So when people talk to, you know, when we say we deem these things to be reliable, we deem this to be the official release from the Chinese. <laughs> it's not necessarily going to be what they do, but they've been pretty much on track to following their own plans. Uh, and they plan to reach a 70 gigawatt uh, gross nuclear capacity by the end of 2025. Um, it's currently at 50 gigawatts. So they're adding 20 gigawatts over the next five years. But they're planning on adding uh, a significantly more and gigawatts, by the way, it sounds like talking computer speech or something. Gigawatts is a lot. A megawatt is a million watts. A gigawatt, you're now up in the billion range. They're adding 20 gigawatt uh, capacity per year to the grid over the next five years. Um, they, that's why am I bringing up China in the middle of this? Because China has... And this is this is numbers from nextbigfuture.com, which is a really good way of tracking uh, new innovations and so on. And they have a very big focus on what ha what's happening in China. Uh, there are 17 reactors under construction right now in China, actually under construction. And there's another 40 plus that are planned to get started in the next five years. So you're talking about 57 plants under construction or planned to be under construction in the next five years. In the United States, it's one. And there's a list of other countries that are in the process of making them. Let me see. There's, there's two in Pakistan, one in Romania, two in Argentina, one in the UK, one in Iran, one in Turkey, one in South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, Sudan, Armenia, and Kazakhstan. So, so we're neck and neck with Armenia and Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan yeah, and uh, Sudan. Right. Now, not really because Armenia, Kazakhstan, and Sudan are using Russian technology, which is not very efficient, where the Chinese are using American technology for their power plants, their nuclear power plants, and the United States is using U.S. technology. The U.K. is using U.K. technology. So... And it's just as good as American technology there. It's just completely different. And when I say there's dozens of new types of technology out there, that is not exaggeration. There's just an amazing amount of new ways of doing nuclear power that are safer and portable and easier to clean up. And there's all kinds of good things that have happened over the last 40 years in technology. We're not likely to experience it. Just like Germany and Japan are not likely to experience it. Uh, are, there's just not an appetite for nuclear energy in the United States. Uh, now, on a different note, TAE Technologies is talking about having fully operational nuclear fusion plant by 2030. Uh, they produced a stable plasma at 50 million degrees Celsius with a compact reactor and have com have repeated that hundreds of times. Fusion is here. This is something that has been a pipe dream for for many 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 years going back to the to the 1950s when everybody said we're going to have it in the next fill in the blank. The reality is it's been a lot harder to figure out. But at the end of this there are 
again, dozens of companies with fusion reactors that are likely to come on in the next 10 years. That's a completely game-changing concept. It is completely different than anything we've discovered before. It's expensive to make, but that's thought just like other things that the prices are going to come down on that. Total funding for this project that we're talking about with TAE Technologies is right now is about $880 million, which is fractional cost to a fission plant, what we would normally call nuclear. Uh, we're talking billions on billions for one plant. Uh, and fusion energy is far more robust and far cheaper once it gets on uh, larger amounts. So this, this is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is not pipe dream stuff anymore. Fusion's coming. The future of energy is good, kind of across the board. We've talked in the past several months about the transition that's taken place lately in solar and wind energy, that it is now cheaper in many, many respects than coal without subsidies even being considered. Uh, and that technology is only going to continue to be better. Uh, battery technology is getting better. There's a bunch of stuff came out this week on something called uh, aluminum, uh, aluminum ion or aluminum air batteries. They're not technically a battery at all. And we and I could go into great detail on that. But it's about 10 times the energy density of the lithium ion battery. Uh, what that means is that if you're in a car and your Model S can take you 300 miles on a charge, if you had, a, instead of a lithium ion, an aluminum ion, uh, you're talking about 3,000 miles on a charge. Again, not a pipe dream. There's some logistical issues in that the, um, the battery, uh, the, the, the pieces inside the battery, the aluminum itself has to be replaced. The water in the battery has to be replaced. But it's all recyclable. So there's a lot of amazing and cool energy stuff coming out in the future. And I've spent way too long on this one question. Let's go back to the natrium reactor again. The difference between a natrium reactor and a traditional water-cooled reactor is fairly simple. Well, there's, there's you know, it's yeah, obviously not. There, there's no such thing physics. as fairly simple in nuclear physicists. Physics. But the, the important thing <laughs> is that it's cooled with liquid sodium, which is referred to as natrium, rather than water. And why is that important? Liquid sodium, unlike water, does not pick up radioactivity when it circulates through the power plant when it circulates through the reactor it picks up the heat which is needed to be you need to keep it cool out of the, keep it cool and it can re recycle it into other places but it doesn't take the radioactivity with it it does occasionally there's a little bit of radioactivity in it but it decays within 15 hours to no radioactivity so if there were a spill at an atrium power natrium power plant you just have a lot of salt on the ground but you wouldn't have radioactive salt on the ground if you think about it, the... You just have to keep the salt away from the batteries. Or then you get salt and battery, and you could go to jail. Just... Oh. There's this yes, other stuff that the, you have that to throw this salt. in. This is the salt, which is different. Oh, oh, okay. Not, not a salt, just the salt. Okay. All right. All right, never mind. Never mind. And it's important to have these. I think Bill Gates has funded this program to work on nature and power. He calls it, it's, it's ex, natrium is actually a brand name. And it actually works very, very well, and it is much safer than a regular power plant. It is less corrosive, uh, less likely to create anything that would cause damage to the environment or 
release radioactivity. It still has the problem of the fact that when you're done with the fuel, you got to do something with it. There's been a lot of objection to doing anything with it, which is one of the problems we have in the United States. The United States government built a big facility in yeah. Arizona, no, in Nevada. Nevada, in one of their test areas where nobody goes, where there's no water, putting it thousands of feet underground, sealed in glass blocks, and still people objected about it. Well, you got to get it there, and that's the thing they're objecting. Yeah, we don't want that stuff on our railroads. Don't bring it through. No, no, you just leave it where it is. Put it in the glass blocks. And it's safe. You can drop it from an airplane, even in these glass blocks. Has that been tested? I think we need to have a government test where they actually take the the radioactive material and tell the people, we're going to test and make sure that the block works. We're going to drop it from an airplane. I don't think people would agree to that. What do you think? Actually, they they actually did drop them from airplanes. They didn't have radioactivity, didn't have radioactive material in them, but they dropped them to see if they would break. They didn't. That's the point. There are safe ways of dealing with this, but people are so paranoid about it. It's kind of like irradiating meat. Irradiating meat using x-rays does not leave the meat full of x-rays or full of radioactivity, but people still don't like it. It does clean out all the bacteria, which stop a lot of deaths from from food poisoning during the years. But people don't like it anyway. People are just natively afraid of anything that has to do with radioactivity. Just as long as it's not gamma radiation, because then the meat could all get green and big if it gets mad and, and start no, punching no, things. No, 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 no. I, 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 this is from purely scientific sources, for sure. That Marvel, purely science fiction sources at Marvel, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm marveling at this, this stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we are really... I, I, I'm pro-nuclear, but I also rec- I'm also pro attacks that is fair. I recognize in being pro something that, especially in cases like those two items, it's not likely to be picked up by the public. Uh, we're not likely to have attacks that makes any sense or a um, nuclear power, uh, major nuclear power in the United States at this point. I expect that to be waning as a size of our electric grid. Um, before we go to the next question, though, I wanted to update a question we had last week. Last week, we were asked what the Texas legislature did oh, yeah. to, to fix the grid. And last week, they had done that. They had some bills that went to conference, which is where the Senate and the House have committees together to see how they conduct their bills together and kind of make it look like one bill. And with the Democrat walkout at that point, we didn't think it was going to get finalized. It got finalized. Now, what came out of it is definitely a duct tape together bit of legislation. I'm not going to call it a monster because it's got some good pieces in it. Um, It's a combination of multiple Senate bills and multiple House bills, which makes it they were only in conference for a very short period of time, which means that the bill that was voted on probably is full of problems. But some of the key takeaways is that the legislature is requiring weatherization of quite a few natural gas production facilities and quite a lot of energy production facilities. This is good news. Uh, they're also, and, and the requirement is somewhere between two and three billion dollars overall across the entire state. Uh, and they're 
also allowing this to be paid for through bonds from the companies that are doing the work. So they would be issuing bonds based on their uh, customer funds. Who's paying for the for the for the energy? So it's a it's a different kind of municipal bond that will be issued to pay for this stuff. And overall, across Texas, it should be, according to the legislature, no more than about $3 billion. Um, So expect to see your electricity rates jump a little bit. Not much, because across across the state, we're only talking about 3 or $4 a month difference to pay for this sort of thing. So on that note, we got good things that happened for the power grid. There were other things that had been talked about that were really great ideas of having reserve production sites. Warren Buffett had proposed that, that only turn on when things are bad so that you have, in essence, a 15% reserve capacity sitting and waiting in the background. Uh, there were uh, thoughts that the, that the legislature would dip into the rainy day fund to help weatherize, which sort of made sense to me when no, you talk no. about weatherization and rainy day. They didn't, but it wasn't a rainy day. It was an icy day. Oh, yeah. You don't have an icy day. Fund. And I, I think that was the final argument that was used, that they this was not a rain issue. This was an ice issue. So the rainy day fund was not tapped for this. Uh, two of the bills had that as, as a major component. So what we got was not, uh, not really expected, but that's it's the sausage that takes place when you're dealing with politics. So the sausage is likely to be rather tasty in that hopefully it will prevent massive freezing of our electric grid a second time. We'll see. It might be too little. It might be just enough. Two to three billion is on the low end of what a lot of the private organizations were estimating the the cost to weatherize would be uh so they're only requiring some degree of weatherization they also required that the gas production production facilities all the way from the ground through the pumping facilities and the refinement facilities that are necessary to generate electric power be listed as emergency power need so they don't get shut off like they did last time we were that's right and weatherization of the direct pipelines. We definitely got caught with their pants down around our ankles on them because a lot of the places that produce natural gas to supply the electric power grid were not listed as emergency power requirement. Because they hadn't filed so they the right paperwork. They, they shut them off. And nobody was in charge of making sure that that happened. Well, now, technically, the Texas Railroad Commission is in charge of making that happen. And then now one of the problems is the ERCOT and the Texas Railroad Commission are not the same thing, and they often work at odds with each other. Right. They also restructured ERCOT to where the governor gets to nominate the members of ERCOT or appoint them as opposed to the industry appointing them. Which is probably a better deal in that you at least can vote somebody out that appointed the wrong people instead of just say, oh, that was a bad idea. You actually can vote about it. That's kind of nice. Well, you can actually vote for the governor if he if he appoints the wrong people. Right. That's about it. That that's what I mean. You could vote that the governor should stop that somehow. Wow, we spent a lot of time on energy, didn't we? 
If you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give personalized investment advice to people of high net worth and corporations, foundations, and so on. Uh, local number is 254-947-1111. Or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can email us, uh, Jeff or Jake, at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.